0: listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This episode covers the life of Christ and the Gospel of Luke. You can enjoy more messages like this with the free Courage Matters app, available in your app store. If you'd like to request Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event, click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com.
1: How many of you know that you have had and you will have decisions about money, what to do with it? how you should spend it, decisions that you make about purchasing certain things, not purchasing other things, choices about your education or the education of somebody else, for example. You have to make decisions about, some of you, whether or not you're going to homeschool, whether or not you're going to send your child or your children to public school, maybe private school, maybe eventually education or university, money and financial decisions and education decisions and career decisions, trying to determine what kind of a career move you're going to make. For others of us, health decisions we've had to make difficult, challenging, maybe you're doing that now, decisions about our own health or about somebody we love. We've had to face decisions. We've had to ask and answer questions. Some of us have had to ask and answer questions about marriage. Should I get married? And then to whom will I get married? And then once we're married, we try to answer the real question, is this marriage salvageable? Some of you understand what I'm talking about when I say that, but in Jesus, the answer is yes, it is salvageable. But there is one question that we all face in life that we must answer, and we must answer it correctly because there are eternally significant consequences to how we answer this question. Turn with me to Luke chapter 13 and verse 22. This is where we find the question. You have asked it. You're asking it now, or you are about to ask it. No one escapes the need to answer it. Luke. Chapter 13, verse 22. He went on his way through towns and villages, Jesus. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. We're seeing Jesus do what we see Jesus doing throughout the Gospels. He's traveling, he's on the go, he's on the move. And what is he doing while he's traveling? He's teaching. We've seen Jesus teach before massive crowds, tens of thousands. We've gone through what the Gospel of Luke has said already about Jesus teaching before these large crowds. Most recently, we saw Jesus teaching in a synagogue, the place where the Jewish people worshiped. And Jesus performed miraculous signs and wonders, regardless of whether it's a large crowd or a small audience. And what is Jesus doing in this particular instance? Verse 22 says, He went on His way through towns and villages teaching. We see that Jesus continued to teach, continued to... Instruct people about the kingdom of God, the ways of God, the plan of the Father. No matter where he was, he was making the most of every opportunity. Whether the crowd was large, small, or somewhere in between, Jesus was always teaching the people about the kingdom of God, being the representative of God the Father. And here it's significant. Look at what it says in verse 22. He was teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. This is significant, that Jesus was teaching toward Jerusalem. Why Jerusalem? What's significant about that? Well, if we look at John chapter 10, beginning in verse 11, look at what the Word of God says, because Scripture interprets Scripture. We need to look at what the Word of God says in other portions to understand what it says in other portions. It interprets itself. It's the best commentary on itself. So in John chapter 10, beginning in verse 11, Jesus is recorded as saying, I am the good shepherd. One of the I am statements that Jesus says throughout the Gospel of John, I am, you remember that significant Title phrase that that God used of Himself on the mountain in the book of Exodus when Moses saw Him, and Moses asked Him, "Whom should I say sent me?" And God says, "Tell them I am sent you." And Jesus, not coincidentally but intentionally, is, is making these statements in the Gospel of John, the "I am" statements. One of them here, in chapter 10, verse 11: "I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down His life for the sheep." He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, another I am statement. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Now, some people have speculated that this is is Jesus speaking about space aliens. I kid you not. Some of you have read about that, that these sheep of the other fold are space aliens, but they're not space aliens. This is interpreted this way by the Nighttime Bible Reading Society, people who read the Bible at night, lights off, sunglasses on, and one eye closed. They don't read the whole Bible. This is a reference to Jew and Gentile in one body, fellowshipping together. Jesus is primarily focusing up to this point on the Jewish people. The gospel will then go to the Gentiles, as we're going to see in the book of Ephesians chapter 3 in a little bit. And that's what Jesus is speaking about. I have other sheep gentile sheep that are not of this fold i must bring them also and they will listen to my voice so there will be one flock we could say one church one body one shepherd verse 17 for this reason the father loves me because i lay down my life that i may take it up again No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Look at that. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. Jesus, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 13, making his way toward Jerusalem. What would happen in Jerusalem? The Son of Man, Jesus, would be betrayed. He would be uh, tried, even though it was illegally, he would be trial, tried by the elders, the leaders of the nation of Israel, and be rejected, and then outside the walls of the city, he would be crucified. Jesus understood that he lived to die. Jesus understood that in the midst of all his teaching, no matter how big the crowd, no matter how small the crowd, whether it was in a town or a village or a synagogue or on a hillside or a plane, no matter where it was, in a boat, Jesus was always teaching, always preaching, always performing miraculous signs and wonders that would lead him to his death. He was on purpose. He was a man of focus, a man of single-minded determination, I would say more than a man. But Jesus models for us With no uncertain terms, focus, and determination. He would not let anything, anybody deter him from where he was going, which was the cross in obedience to the Father. Jesus was not murdered. It was his decision to surrender his life to the Father, to lay down his life of his own accord. He was not taken against his will. He waited in the Garden of Gethsemane, so he would intentionally be taken when he could have fled. He could have called legions of angels, if you read the Gospels, when the Roman soldiers came, and he could have fended them off. Jesus was not murdered, he was not taken against his will, he was taken in accordance with his will and in accordance with the will of his Father. He laid down his own life willingly, intentionally, and so what we see Jesus doing here is making his way methodically, purposefully, intentionally, toward Jerusalem. He knew what was going to happen in Jerusalem. It would be for the benefit of the Father and it would be for the benefit of you and me. This idea of Jesus being focused, intentional, not allowing himself to be sidetracked is significant to note because if you're a Christ follower, you must have the same single-mindedness of purpose. If you are a real follower of Jesus Christ, you too will focus on the cross. You too will build everything in your life around the cross, the culminating event in all of human history and the culminating event in your life that Jesus Christ went to the cross so that you could have eternal life. And a follower of Jesus Christ makes it their ambition to make the main thing the main thing, which is the glory of Jesus Christ, which was preceded by the humiliation of Jesus Christ, the cross. Look with me at Philippians chapter three. In Philippians chapter three, the mighty apostle Paul helps us understand what happens to somebody when they really follow Christ. Paul is not the exception. Paul is the example of a Christ follower. When you really get serious about following Jesus Christ, when you really make it your ambition to follow Jesus Christ, what happened to Paul will happen to you. For some of us, it happens sooner. For others of us, it happens later. It happens to varying degrees at various points uh, of our journey and our traveling. But We are all journeying and traveling in this same direction, and Paul makes it clear not as the exception, but as the example, Philippians chapter three, verse seven, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. This is something we don't want to spend a whole lot of time on. In today's world, our sanitized view of Christianity suffered the loss of all things. If you're really following Jesus Christ, you've lost something. You've lost all things, not a few things. You've lost everything if you're really following Jesus Christ. That's what Paul did, not just because he was an apostle, but because Paul, as an apostle, as a bondservant, sets an example for us of what it means to really follow Jesus Christ. It's not possible to really follow Jesus Christ. Pay attention. It's not possible to really be a Christ follower if You're not following the one who gave up everything. Jesus gave up everything for his father. Jesus gave up everything for you. Paul, the apostle, by no coincidence, is following Jesus Christ. And what's happening as he's following Jesus Christ? He's given up everything, not some things, everything. Let those things that are in the rear view mirror of your life stay there. Don't go back and wonder and caress and regret the things that you left. Remember why you left them. You left them for the same reason that Paul left them and considered them to be garbage in order that I may gain Christ. Verse 9, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. that comes from the law. This is significant that Paul the Pharisee in training who had a knowledge of God or a zeal for God without the knowledge could have tried to find his righteousness in following the Old Testament, but he recognizes no. There is no righteousness from following the Old Testament. Even if I follow it quote unquote flawlessly, which no human being can do through the law, we become conscious of sin. Being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. Faith. In Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share in His sufferings. Again, something that we want to sanitize and remove from this idea of being a disciple of Jesus Christ today. If you're really following Jesus Christ, you will share in His sufferings. Listen. You're suffering for Jesus, not just because you might not be as good looking as you wish you were, or as financially prosperous as you wish you were. You're suffering for Jesus when you're taking a stand for the things that Jesus wants you to stand for and people hate you. People persecute you. People don't like you. When you're giving up things that, a lifestyle, a direction in your life, prosperity, when you're giving up Fame in your own world, comfort in your own world, which we all have certain degrees of fame. When you're giving up whatever else you would consider gain, Because you're being faithful and loyal as a witness for Jesus Christ, that's what he's talking about, that you might share in his suffering. Make sure that you are suffering for Jesus. If you're not suffering for Jesus, you're probably not following him because it's been appointed to us not only to follow Jesus and to receive eternal life, but also to suffer on behalf of him, him who suffered, he who suffered. Jesus only makes sense that those who follow him would likewise suffer may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, being totally abandoned to the Father for the benefit of other people, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Verse 12, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it known because Christ Jesus had made has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It happened to the Apostle Paul. It should happen to everyone who's following Jesus like the Apostle Paul. If you are a Christ follower, you too understand the centrality that everything in your life points to the cross. You're going in a direction, and that direction is toward the sacrifice of your own will, the sacrifice of your own direction, the sacrifice of all your resources, the sacrifices of your ambitions. Everything in your life now points to the cross and points people to the cross. This means that in the same way that Jesus was headed toward Jerusalem, you too must head toward Jerusalem. This means that in the same way that the Apostle Paul was headed toward Jerusalem and the cross was central to Paul's gospel and Paul considered everything a loss for the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, as Lord and Savior, you too must give up all things, not some things, for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ. Making it your ambition to know Jesus and to make him known. This means that all of your financial decisions are wrapped up in how can I advance the gospel. This means that your career decisions are made and wrapped up in how can I advance the gospel. This means your decisions on getting married, not getting married, who to marry, and to stay married are all wrapped up in the glory of God and making it your ambition that you would suffer the loss of all things, to be a witness, and to give testimony to Jesus Christ. Jesus gives us the stellar, spotless, unwavering example of what it means to be committed to selflessness, to be committed and absorbed, consumed with the cross. And all of that is just from one verse. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem look with me now at verses 23 and 24 in Luke chapter 13 someone said to him here's the question Lord will those who are saved be few and he said to them strive to enter through the narrow door for I tell you many I tell you will seek to enter and will not be able will those who are saved be few Will those who are saved be few? And Jesus' answer makes me uncomfortable. Jesus' answer requires me to reflect and to think and to search the scriptures and to contemplate Is that narrow door big enough for me? So you've got to ask that question. Is that narrow door that Jesus is speaking of. Is it big enough for you? So you've got to ask that question. You've got to get the answer to that question because it doesn't matter what else you ask, what else you answer in the course of your life, whether it's small or large in comparison, this is the big question. Is that narrow door big enough for me? Now, the thing that's so beautiful about the Bible, written by different authors and yet they support each other, the Bible is the best commentary on itself. Whenever we find a passage of scripture that we don't necessarily have insight on, we don't go to the internet, we go to the Bible. That's why being a good student of God's Word is one of the best investments you can make in your own life. The more you're a student of God's Word, the more you understand the heart, the mind of God, the more you can answer the spiritual questions in your life that must be answered, such as, will those who are saved be few, and am I one of the few? Jesus says, strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter And will not be able so where do i want to go i want to go to john's gospel the gospel of john in beginning in verse 7 look at what jesus says here john chapter 10 verse 7 so jesus again said to them truly truly i say to you now when jesus says truly truly it's not because everything he was saying up to that point was a bunch of baloney It's not that he was pulling our legs up to this point and says, okay, now let me get really serious with you for a moment here. Everything that Jesus was teaching was serious and important. Think of it as Jesus saying, listen to this, pay particular attention to this. I want you to really zero in on this and what is going to come out of my mouth after I say truly, truly is particularly important. That's why he's saying this. I am giving you my word on it. Truly, truly, I say to you, another I am statement. I am the door of the sheep. Verse 8. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. John 10 seven through nine so when we see jesus in luke chapter 13 verse 24 saying strive to enter through the narrow door for many i tell you will seek to enter and will not be able we understand the exclusivity of jesus we understand as the bible interprets itself that jesus is the narrow door and jesus is not a relativist in our relativistic world in which we live where well that might be your truth but my truth is different jesus says no There is absolute truth. It's amazing how people's relativism and their rejection of absolute truth changes when a circumstance in life gets their attention. Jesus makes it abundantly clear that he's not into truth being relative to the situation. There are truths. This whole passage, again, reminds us that there are truths and you are either on the side of truth or opposed to it. Jesus could have said here there are many ways to get into heaven, but he doesn't. He says you must enter through the narrow door, and that door is as we've just seen from John's gospel, that door is Jesus himself. You see, it wouldn't have made any difference whatsoever if Jesus performed all these miraculous signs and wonders, did all of these things flawlessly, if at the at the end he wasn't the way if at the end he avoided the cross. The cross is what makes your salvation and mine because there's a substitute for your life, a payment for your life and for mine. That's what makes salvation possible. The giving of Jesus' life for your life. There are some things that are not left up to who knows. Who can tell? Jesus makes it very clear that there is truth that you can absolutely know, that he wants people to know. In fact, he says, Strive. Makes me uncomfortable. Make every effort. Don't hope this happens. Make sure that you enter through the narrow gate? Because I'm telling you, many are going to try but will be unable. Is that narrow gate large enough? Is that narrow door big enough for you to get through? Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Look again with me at John chapter 6, beginning in verse 28. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Great question. What must we do to be doing the works of God? Then he said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. This is the work of God that you believe in Him who He has, whom He has sent. The reason why it's important to look at this passage in John chapter 6, 28 and 29 is because Jesus calls these people workers of evil. Look with me at chapter 20, chapter 13 of Luke's gospel, verses 26 and 27. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets, but He will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers, of evil. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. This is the situation and the position that you're in. It's the situation and the position that I'm in. It's the situation and position that every single one of us is in until we do the works that God has required, which is to believe in the one he sent, his son. Look with me. Ephesians 2, 3. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. And by the way, I love what the original language says there. The original language says all. How about that? Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Nobody's without excuse. We're all in the same boat rowing in the same direction. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, meaning enemies of God. Every single one of us is born as a worker of evil. Every single one of us is under the wrath, the judgment of God. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, like every other man, woman, boy, girl. We are all in that same situation under the judgment of God. And what needs to happen to us is we need to cross over from being workers of evil to among those who are saved, the few who are saved, who enter the way Jesus says the entrance must happen. Nobody's going to get in and surprise Jesus. There is no other way. Jesus could have said there are multiple religions in the world. There already were during that day, not just Judaism. They already had the sacrificial system in Judaism, the law. If that was sufficient, then why go to the cross? Jesus is making an exclusive statement. There is such thing as absolute truth. And Jesus believed it. Jesus taught it. It's not possible for Jesus to be a good teacher, a wonderful teacher, if he's misleading us in this key area. If there are many ways to be saved, and Jesus is telling us that there's a narrow way through the narrow gate, and many people will try to be saved but won't be, and that's not true, then we shouldn't follow anything that Jesus is saying. Are there things in the scriptures that blow my mind and fry my circuits? Yes, there are, and this is one of them. Jesus is teaching exclusivity when it comes to belief. I know that there are people who might not be there. You might, but might be listening to this by podcast right now and say, that sounds judgmental. I know, he does sound judgmental, doesn't he? But he has a right to judge. If this is true, and he loves us so much that he would tell us this truth, then it is my reality that must adjust and come under the reality of Jesus. I am not in a position to put words in the mouth of Jesus. I'm not in a position to tell Jesus that he's wrong. Jesus is in position. The word of God is in position to tell me that my life is wrong. And I need to change my life. If Jesus says strive to enter through the narrow door. And Jesus says in John chapter 10 that I am the door. And if Jesus says, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able, then I need to make sure that that narrow door is wide enough for me. You need to make sure that that door, narrow as it might be, is wide enough for you. And the good news is that it is. Look again at John six twenty-eight. Look again. This really needs to sink in. John chapter 6, verse 28. They, then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Stop right there. Right there, Jesus could have said, offer more sacrifices. Do this, do that. But he boils it down to one simple thing. They said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Verse 29, John 6. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. This is particularly significant, important, and freeing. God does require that you do something. I know that it's grace. Undeserved favor. God requires that you enter, that I enter, that everybody enter through the narrow door, which is him. And how do you enter through the narrow door? By accepting the person, the works of Jesus Christ. That's how it happens. That's how we do the work that not God suggests, the work that He requires. Don't miss it. Back to Luke, verse 25. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, Jesus is not a relativist. Absolute truth. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. Do not confuse familiarity with faith. Don't confuse familiarity with Jesus with personal saving faith entering through the narrow door. Be careful you don't confuse familiarity with the teachings of Jesus with faith in the person and the works of Jesus. There's a huge difference. Why do I say that? Look what it says here. Verse 26. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. Jesus is speaking, answering this question. Lord, will those who are saved be few? A person actually asked that question while Jesus is going through the towns and the villages. Doing what? Teaching. He would have been stopping for meals, the equivalent of the McDonald's of the day. People would have been bringing him stuff to drink. He would have been eating. He was fully human, not just fully God. And on his way, he would have been teaching in the streets. And Jesus is telling them that one day, what's happening right now, what you've been witnessing in the towns and the villages will be brought to your recollection. We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he'll say, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. Don't confuse familiarity with Jesus with faith in Jesus. These people would have seen with their own eyes Jesus, eating, drinking, They would have listened with their own ears to the teaching of Jesus. They would have witnessed it firsthand if that was not sufficient for them to enter through the narrow gate. What about us 2,000 years after the fact? Many people have grown up in church familiar with the teachings of the gospel, familiar with the teachings of Jesus. Many people have had godly parents or at least seemingly godly parents. It doesn't matter. Many people have been brought up in pastor's families and the families of elders and deacons. It doesn't matter. Many people have been brought up as children of missionaries who have gone and given what we think to be the supreme sacrifice. Listen, a person could be on the mission field and not be surrendered to Jesus at all. Don't think that just because somebody's doing something that looks spiritual to you means it's truly spiritual to God. Many people are familiar with what the Bible says. Seminary professors and pastors of churches memorized Bible verses, gone to Awana. Familiarity is not the same as faith. You've got to enter, Jesus says it, with exclusivity. He makes it abundantly clear. We've got to enter through the narrow door. Make every effort to make sure you answer that question correctly. Will those who are saved be a few? Jesus says, yes. And ask the question, are you one of them? Familiarity is not the same as faith. We've got to have faith in the person and the works of Jesus, that he is the Son of God, that he is God in the flesh that he is God's provision for the forgiveness of sins, your sins and mine, that there's nothing, no sin that you have committed that is too big for the cross of Jesus Christ. Every single one of them was nailed to the cross, every single one of them taken care of, but you can't just be familiar with that story. You've got to have faith in Jesus, that he is the door. That he's the one that we put our faith into. Now look with me here as we come to our conclusion. In that place, verse 28, Luke thirteen twenty-eight. in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, I would say a great deal of discomfort, a great deal of agony, a great deal of regret. When you see... Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from the east and the west and from north and south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And be assault. behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. You know, faith leads to the feast. Faith leads to the feast. Feasting at the table in the kingdom of God. Look with me at Revelation chapter 19. In Revelation chapter 19, this is the marriage supper of the Lamb. When you have faith, you're part of the family. What family? The family of God. When you're part of the family of God, you're going to get to feast at the table, the celebration when sickness and hardship and sin and all that stuff is finally, ultimately dealt with. You're going to be able to enjoy the Marriage Supper of the Lamb, Revelation 19:6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints." And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. In the book of Ephesians chapter 3, verse 4, look with me, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 4. Paul says this, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body. See how we're coming full circle here? Members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This was something that the Old Testament saints didn't fully understand the way we do today when we read the Bible, and it interprets itself. That one body, one flock, Jew and Gentile believers in Jesus Christ, together get to celebrate the ma- at the marriage supper of the Lamb, spoken of in Revelation chapter 19. If you have saving faith, you're part of the family, and you will be at that feast. It's not something you need to wonder about. Might that happen? No, it will happen, because the Bible talks about it, because Jesus is teaching about it. Now look with me, before we even celebrate too much about the marriage supper, look with me at Revelation chapter 20. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 7, here's some more absolute truth. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog. This is the battle of Megiddo or Armageddon. To gather them for battle, their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. It's over before it even starts. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented. And they will be tormented. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great right throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. First and foremost, as we've seen from John chapter 6, what they had done with Jesus. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Does this make me uncomfortable? Yes, it does. Should it make you uncomfortable? Yes, it should. Because in today's relativistic world where absolutes are gone and we can't know wrong from right, and it's your opinion versus my opinion, it's hard to read a passage of Scripture like this and let it speak to us and then to revolve our lives around the absolute truth of the Word of God. What we're seeing is a consistency as Scripture interprets itself. The lake of fire, originally prepared for the devil and his angels, fallen angels, demons, wicked spirits, is also the place where those who don't enter through the narrow door end up. Familiarity is not the same as faith. And going back to Luke chapter 13, verse 30, Jesus ends this section by saying, Behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. You know, this idea presented in Romans chapter 11, presented in the book of Ephesians chapter 3 that we just looked at, it's important for us to understand that God started with the Jewish people. He started with the Jewish people, the first. He's given his attention right now to the non-Jewish people, and one day he will be returning his attention again to the Jewish people. Why? Because what God starts, God finishes. And in the book of Romans, chapter 11, 25, it says this. Paul says, lest you be wise in your own sight, I want you to understand this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Jesus says, behold, some are last the Gentiles who will be first. Some are first, the Jewish people, who will be last. Will those who are saved be few? And is that narrow door wide enough for you? It is if you move from familiarity in Jesus to faith in the person, the works, the life, the ministry, the identity of Jesus.
0: You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters Podcast, where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. To learn more, visit CourageMatters.com or download the free Courage Matters app. Interested in requesting Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event, click the invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking.